0: Some bonds last a lifetime, some bonds inspire confidence, and some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing.
1: Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Nobody likes tariffs, except for all the people whose jobs they're going to save. Now, none of those people work on Wall Street, though. So if you want stocks to come down, you slap sell. sell, sell. Uh, 25% tariff on steel and a 10% duty on aluminum, hence why the Dow plunged 420 points, S&P plummeted 1.3%, And the NASDAQ nosedive 1.27%. That's exactly what President Trump did today. And you know what? It's exactly what he said he'd do if foreign countries didn't stop dumping this stuff in our markets, as they've been doing for ages. Now, I've been saying this would happen over and over again on this show. Yet somehow this came as a surprise to people. I think it's in Trump's DNA. Anyone ever read this book? We need to approach these trade sanctions, ones that will impact multiple so-called trading partners, in two ways. First, I'll put on my Cassandra hat to start things off, spell out the worst-case scenario. Did Cassandra even wear a hat? Maybe it's like a chicken little hat. Either way, I'll explain why so many people seem to think the sky is falling. And then I'll tell you my feelings, my thoughts on why these tariffs may not be the end of the world as we know it and that will probably be in there doing some investing soon. First, though, you need to hear the unhinged laissez-faire polemic. You need to understand the seven deadly sins of tariffs and trade, at least according to the conventional wisdom. Of the many issues Donald Trump ran on, the one that probably won him the election was his stance on trade. He wasn't going to let our steel and aluminum workers, you know what, we still have some of the former, not many of the latter, get sacrificed on the altar of growth. Also, we could sell more goods to China and other countries that dump these products on us. Basically, he said the same things we've been hearing from some of the smartest people in the steel industry for years. Uh, People like John Ferriola and Dan D'Amico, the present and past CEOs of Nucor, America's largest steel producers, and frequent guests on mad money. These industrialists have been arguing not that the president should start a trade war, but that we've been on the receiving end of a trade war for ages. We just hadn't chosen to fight back. And also, to be fair, President Obama, hey, he went after many dumpers during his two terms. He knew the Chinese in particular weren't playing fair, and he did try to do something about it. But Obama was the master of understatement. Trump's the master of overstatement. He's a speak loudly and carry a large bazooka kind of guy. So why is everybody freaking out about this news? What's so bad about protecting vulnerable American jobs from unfair foreign trade practices? Well, because anytime a politician comes out against, a, against free trade, even a little bit in this country, all the experts act like they should be burned at the stake for heresy. It's kind of like a religious totem for them. Not here. Not on Mad Money. Let me give you the negative rap first though, the dogmatic reasons why so many sold stocks on the news and might continue to do so. I don't buy into what I'm about to tell you, but much of Wall Street does. And they took the classes, it's how they feel. First, because there's a Chinese trade delegation in Washington, the bears will say that the Chinese, rather than backing down, will slap tariffs of their own on everything we make here in America, from planes to shampoo to diapers to elevators. Forget the fact that we import a lot more steel from other countries than China, although the Chinese have been dumping aluminum in this country surreptitiously for ages. If China decides to go tit for tat, well, yeah, I understand people will want to sell every consumer product company and an industrial that does business in the People's Republic, which is pretty much almost everybody. And it's sort of true, but if you're going to extrapolate that far, why not go all the way? Hey, let's just say, let's take it to the full-scale nuclear war. Donald Trump imposes 25% steel tariff. Uh-oh, better go hide in the fall, cetera, because the Chinese are going to retaliate, Right. Second, the free trade evangelists, and that's who they are, will say that these tariffs on aluminum and steel will push prices up so high that it will cause major inflation to rage throughout our economy. And there will be a little inflation. That's actually true. We do make plenty of things in this country with steel and aluminum, although I doubt the tariffs will be that devastating to the prices of finished goods. Third, and this is where the bear case really jumps the shark. They'll say a trade war will slam the brakes on commerce worldwide. So we'll end up in stagflation hell, where even as we do less business, prices are going to go up across the board. Holy cow. Who knew it was so easy to wreck the global economy? Fourth. You'll never be here that this is how the Great Depression began. They'll talk about the punitive Smoot-Hawley tariff, which was signed into law in June of 1930, right before the big one. Yep, right before the big one. Well, never mind that the great crash happened in October 29. Maybe Smoot and Hawley had a time machine. That tariff did cover 20,000 different goods, though. Fifth, going full-on paranoia, They'll say that it's not going to stop with steel and aluminum. Next is apparel. Maybe cars, across-the-board tariffs, all sorts of imports. Make everything more expensive at the retail level. Send us again to stagflation hell. Noticing a pattern here. Six, you'll hear that a rookie Federal Reserve chairman just committed to maybe four rate hikes this year, right when world trade is about to collapse because of these tariffs and we're going to protectionist mode. They'll say that j Powell's on autopilot. We're going to crash into uh, into a tariff retaining wall. I think they're being delusional, but I'm spelling out the bear case. I heard it all day. Seventh, there will be days and days and days, if not weeks, where this trade war story will dominate the news cycle, and each time the industrials will get slammed. To the bears, that means Boeing's a short, so's United Technologies, planes, elevators, look out below. To take this historical argument to its logical conclusion, Trump's 25% steel tariff means you now got to sell Apple, absolutely, because the Chinese will never let Apple sell anything again. No tariffs. They'll just outlaw all Apple products for going through the spirit of you know of Xi, right? The Xi thought, which is apparently well, some sort of real thing. Hey, they banned Winnie the Pooh over there, you know. Why not the iPhone? Let me aside from the fact that most of it's made in um, uh, well, not China. Now, that's the extreme worst-case scenario spelled out by the bears who just went off their medication. But what about the best-case scenario? And remember best case doesn't mean like bye bye bye. But let me just lay it out. First, maybe the Chinese and a lot of the other partners, but the Chinese do nothing except grouse and the rest of our trading partners simply acquiesce as as we have in this country for eons. These countries, China in particular, also Korea, know they've been dumping. They pretty much wiped out our domestic steel and aluminum industries years ago. They may even be surprised it took us so long to wake up. This is the Chinese paper tiger theory that the president has espoused for years, including in multiple interviews to me before he was elected. Two, let's talk tariffs. Remember, Obama imposed anti-dumping duties, too. His were just subtler and less noisy. But they happened, and we were just fine. No raging inflation to speak of. As for Chinese retaliation, the Communist Party wants to cut back on pollution anyway. They may decide to shut down some steel and aluminum plants purely as a goodwill gesture. They've been doing a bunch of them already. Sound crazy? I think it's actually a lot more likely than China initiating a full-scale retaliation to our moves. Third, the markets just had a gigantic rebound off the bottom. But the problem with this move is that the volatility sellers, remember that VIX thing, the ones who borrowed money to bet against the VIX and own common stock? Well, here we go again. You got to crush those guys. I can't believe there's still any of them left, cockroaches but it's going to happen. Fourth, sure, the president can be a bit mercurial, but whether you love him or hate him, it's clear he views the stock market as the key metric of his job performance. Yes, he's talked a lot about protecting workers from unfair foreign competition, but if too much protectionism causes the market to tank, well, you better believe Mr. Art of the deal is going to change his tune pretty quickly. Fifth, we needed another stock shakeout as far as I'm concerned. That's what happens after big runs. You always hear about a retest, but they don't come until everybody's decided there won't be a retest. Well, here we are. Six, even if you're worried about trade, there are tons of purely domestic stocks that won't be impacted. We've got one on tonight. Even retailers sell a lot less merchandise from China than you think because they are much cheaper places to manufacture. And obviously, the steels and aluminum makers, well, they benefit from Chapel Trust owns Nucor, nice move today, not done. Finally, if you can't take the pain, by all means, go feel free to lock in some profits. No one ever got hurt taking a profit. So I'm sure you got plenty of big gains. However... I don't think these tariffs will be a front and center story a week from now. If you're nimble enough to get out and get back in, like remember those Apple traders I always talk about, will be my guess. But most people aren't that nimble. Look, losses are losses. Nevertheless, even casual observers of this show would have known that this was going to happen because I talked about it endlessly. I've listed it as my number one concern over and over again, perhaps because I spend so much time with Corp. But here's the bottom line. I have not been worried about a potential trade war, no. We've been losing them for years. My fear was always that an anti-protectionist panic would cause us to get slammed just like we were today. In the end, I believe this market will settle down and the bear case is simply way too extreme, verging on hysterical. While the not-so-hot case that produces a garden-variety sell-off, well, let's just say that's the far more likely scenario. Let's go to Astrid in New York. Astrid.
2: Hey, Jim. My hey, dad, Ken, and I watch you all the time. Thank you. So my question is, um, I actually bought US Steel a while back because of the tariff rumors. How long should I hold it, and what is Not your projection? Not very long,
1: because in the end, what we care about in Cray America is really good companies. I think, I think Letter X can go up, but if you want a consistent, great growth company that happens to be in the steel industry, then you want Nucor. That's the best of the best. Let's go to Jeff in Utah. Jeff.
2: Hey, well, hello, and a huge, big, big, massive, booming
1: booyah to you, Jim. Well, I like that kind of time-sized booyah. Let's go to work together. <laughs>
2: Greetings, Steve, from Snowy Salt Lake City. I'm Jeff. Yes. Uh, the stock I want to ask your opinion about is ExxonMobil, ticker XOM.
1: Uh, not- no.
2: You know, look, I'll, I'm going to. It yields
1: 4%, that's fine, but I have really cooled to the uh, fossil fuel stocks in the show. There's a whole new generation of fund managers that think these are tobacco, and it's time for America to think young. Let's go to Nicholas in Florida, please. Nicholas.
2: Hey, Kramer, I was wondering uh, about Sterling Construction, STRL is the ticker, uh, in Houston with all the hurricanes uh, they're just going to have a good uh, you know what it's okay if my... you want to
1: play that and I, sh- and I say play I don't like that I should really say invest then what you want is waste management my trust has been buying it that has been the most consistent play with a good dividend great balance sheet and fantastic management okay listen up tariffs will change things but the bear case is just way too extreme for us pay attention to the constructive case it's often the way to go including now Oh, man, tonight. The market took a hit today, but one group held up surprisingly well. And it might surprise you. I'm going to reveal the space just ahead. Then, after a tough day for the averages, I know you got some questions. I'm going to open up the phone lines to talk it out in a very special strategy session interactively. And stat pack, Slim Jim's, Jeffy Pop, from favorite snacks to healthy choices. The new ConAgra Foods is behind some of America's biggest brands. 100 years young? Can it offer up a hot meal and a hot stock on a not-so-hot day? Stick with On another day where the market just got hammered, you know what group actually held up surprisingly well? The retail-oriented real estate investment trust. Yep, the retail REITs, which have been among some of the worst underperformers for most of the past year. They've either did this decline quite well. In fact, this group has been bouncing surprisingly hard since the bottom in mid-February, which is why I feel compelled to come out here tonight and tell you that you got to buy. Nope, nope, that you should not be misled by this rally. You get all kinds of weird gyrations in any given market, and you need to be able to tell the difference between a sustainable rally and a brief bounce on the way down. The mall-based real estate investment trusts are simply not the kind of stocks you want to own in this environment. And you need to use any strength, even relative strength like you're getting at this particular opportunity, to start selling them. The reason. Well, it all comes down to interest rates. Now, regular viewers know I've been adamant that you shouldn't stress too much about whether the 10-year tre- Treasury is yielding 2.8% or 2.9% or 3%. But at the end of the day, there is a whole cohort of dividend stocks that are basically bond market equivalents. People own them for their income. So when bonds start to become more attractive, these stocks, and you got to think the utilities, the higher-yielding consumer packaged good plays, the master limited partnerships and the real estate investment trusts, well, they tend to get punished. Now, you don't need to be concerned with the day-to-day swings in the bond market. However, you need to care about the general trajectory of bonds and that trajectory is very straightforward. Long-term interest rates m- go- must head higher must. Because we've got a booming economy. See the employment uh, weekly numbers today? And short-term rates are going up as the Fed gradually tightens three or four times this year, which is their stated intent. As that process unfolds, the REITs will continue to get blasted, particularly the mall-oriented REITs, as we still have too many retail outlets in this country, even with the consumer spending, uh, let's say, much better than last year at this time. And that's why this group has been getting hurt for over a year. That is until the last few weeks. Lately, the yield in the benchmark 10-year Treasury has been sliding lower after a big spike in the beginning of February. That's allowed the real estate investment trust to bounce and bounce pretty hard. It sure seemed like many investors have decided that these names have finally come down enough that they're attractive. And I'm telling you, I think that's a mistake. The retail reads have not been excessively punished. And when interest rates start to climb again, this group is going to fall out of favor quickly. Consider the whole group. You've got 13 major mall or shopping center-oriented real estate investment trusts, Simon Property Group, CGP, Regency Centers, Federal Realty, Macerich, Ridge, Kimco Realty, Bricksmoor, Weingarten Realty, DDR, Kite Realty, T- Tanger Factory Outlet Centers, Washington Prime, CBL and & Associates, and PREIT. And you know what? I've talked about these a lot. When you look at how these stocks have performed, they have come down dramatically from their peaks summer of 2016. And that was right when we just started worrying about rising interest rates. You see this correlation I'm talking about? These retail rates are down an average of 45 percent from their highs. And while there's some variance here with the worst down nearly 67 percent, and the best performed down about 32 percent, it's a very ugly situation on the whole, especially in a market that's rallied so hard over the same period. Now, in the past few weeks, the whole group has bounced. It's up an average of 10.2 percent, which is why I'm picking tonight to talk about it. I don't want to just sell at the bottom, okay? I wanted to wait for a bounce. Again, some have bounced harder than others, ranging from a puny 1.2% game for GGP to a monster 23.5% game for Washington Prime. The general trend is that the worst performing of these REITs have had the biggest rebounds. But even the best-run shopping center REITs, and I'm here speaking about, like, Federal Realty and Tanger, are tough to own, and I have long been champion of both. It's not just that... These are broken stocks hurt by long-term resurgence in interest rates. They're also potentially broken companies, the best houses in a really bad neighborhood. The problem, you need to deal with the long-term decline of the mall and the shopping center. That's what's at stake here besides interest rates. Last summer, Credit Suisse published a report arguing that 20 to 25% of American malls will indeed close within five years. That's a staggering number. Even if they're being, let's say, excessively bearish, even if it's only 10%, that's still a huge number that will do a ton of damage to this industry. We know the culprit here. It's the rise of online shopping. It's just far too easy to buy off the web, and even traditional bricks-and-mortar retailers have begun to figure out how to sell things profitably online. But here's the crazy thing. You'd think the number of malls in this country would have gone into decline since the dot-com era or the rise of the iPhone, but you'd be mistaken. We've been actually building more and more again each year. And that's in part because municipalities love to offer all kinds of generous incentives to bring in business. Even as individual retailers have been making some pretty big comebacks, most of them are still closing down lots of underperforming stores. And there have been plenty of outright bankruptcies. In short, we're still over in America, and this is not a good business to be in. If you insist on owning a real estate investment trust, you know what? We've got some alternatives out there. I would avoid the retail REITs, maybe go with those industrial REITs, data center REITs. Those are still growth areas. They've been strong fundamentally, and might be able to swim against the tide of higher interest rates because it's such great growth. But the mall and shopping center ones, I'm going to have to tell you, this little bounce, good chance to lighten up. Now, I can hear some arguing, uh, as these retail REITs see their stocks go lower, don't their yields go higher? Well, at some point, won't they be too attractive to ignore? They actually have a lot of uh, very little vacancies. That's actually the crux of the issue. With the decline of brick-and-mortar shopping, what happens to the retail real estate investment trusts if they do need to slice their dividends? Well, you know what happens? The stocks get obliterated, that's what. Now, I'm not saying the retail REITs will have to cut their payouts. For that to happen, we need to see one of two things— they have to start being unable to fill their vacancies, and they still do a pretty good job of filling them, or they start charging lower rents. Right now, most of the REITs are doing fine. It's the future that people are worried about, and unless they diversify away from retail, something, by the way, the Federal realties, Don Wood has been doing, these stocks are going to remain pariahs. What does the future look like for retail-oriented real estate investment trusts? Let me read you a devastating passage from an email that Howard Schultz, the visionary chairman and founder of Starbucks, shared with me this weekend. And I quote, over the last few weeks, I have been in a number of U.S. cities and observed firsthand the abundance of empty storefronts across the country in prime A1 locations. This is only the beginning of a seismic fallout of store closures, end quote. Ouch. Schultz continues. We are at a major inflection point as landlords across the country will be forced sooner than later to permanently lower rent rates to adjust to the new normal as a result of the acute shift consumer behavior away from traditional bricks and mortar retailing to e-commerce. Finally, Schultz notes in this devastating memo, quote, trust me, rents are coming down. Wow. Wow. I mean, I read, I said, this is unbelievable. And remember he called, he called the top and walls in general. All right. Mall traffic. He did. Howard Schultz did something. uh, Now, he is absolutely thrilled, by the way, that this is happening because he expected to permanently lower the cost of doing business for Starbucks. It would be a positive. But what's good news for a major nationwide chain is horrible for the REITs that own these properties. As the drip, drip, drip of bad news continues, I expect we'll start hearing more and more chatter about potential dividend cuts down the line. And that is not good. One last question. Could these shopping center REITs be broken up, liquidated, just taken private if their stocks get too low? Honestly, I I don't see a good way to do this. Believe me, if these companies truly believed their stocks were too cheap, they'd be trying to take themselves private left and right right now. If the issue is that the underlying properties are becoming less valuable, it's hard to imagine who'd be a buyer for these companies or even the underlying real estate. Here's the bottom line. Don't let the recent strength in real estate investment trust fake you out. Remember, I did this piece waiting for a 10% bounce, and we're getting it. This is still a very risky group to own. And as interest rates start climbing again, these stocks will go right back down. Maybe this is a chance to lighten up. Remember, we don't like reaching for stocks with super high yields in Cramerica because they're often a sign that the underlying dividends may turn out to be very risky in the future much more mad money at after another wild day on wall street i'm opening up the phone lines to hear from you hey listen are we going to work this <laughs> together what did we do when it was down nine percent did we run and hide we came here and talked then what's ahead for Conagra symbol cad I'm sitting down with the CEO to see if he can set the table for success. And the one company that can wow even on a tough day, I'll reveal the name because the stock roared just ahead. Stick with Kramer. Market really took a hit today. But remember, this sell-off, just like the others once just last month, are not the end of the world. And you should never invest as if they were. As always, we're going to get through this together. I'm here to help you navigate the market's turmoil, maybe spot some opportunities wherever they might be. So once again, you know what we're going to do on a big down day? We're going to open the phone lines. We're going to hear from you, the voices of Cray America. I'm fielding your questions, giving you direction into today's sell-off strategy session and, of course, the panic that often occurs companies a couple of ugly days. So let's go to John in California. John.
2: Uh, Booyah, Jim, from out here in Sacramento. You know we love you out here.
1: Ah, thank you, John. I always love your calls. What's going on?
2: Okay, well, now through watching your show, helping the ordinary guy like me, I've gotten involved with U.S. Concrete and CBI on the infrastructure play, but my question to Jim, I got Berkshire B, you know, a long time. I just buy stuff and hold it. How do you think uh, Warren's going to hold up with all this uh, turmoil in Washington, and how do you think Berkshire B is going to do during all this turmoil? Uh,
1: hey, it's funny, John. When I was putting together, I my initial t- thought for tonight was to come up with a buy list. Just say, okay. look, if these come down. But I decided to go a little bit different direction. I want to be able to do a little macro. But at the top of my list was going to be Berkshire, because after listening to Warren on Monday, Mr. Buffett on Monday, it's so clear to me that he's not involved with the day to day. And this tariff is a day to day issue. So that's the one I would actually look to buy. All right. Let's go to John in New York, please. John.
2: Booyah, Jim.
1: Booyah, John.
2: I understand you're, you're not doing the segment today, but I, I was wondering if it would okay to uh, do an Am I Diversified?
1: Oh, of course. You know, we just felt like I want to be responsive to our viewers, uh, and I thought it was on point to be able to open it up to questions, but this certainly fits the the, uh, the depiction. How can I help?
2: Okay, cool. Um, the five stocks I have are the Death Star, that is Amazon. Okay, Okay, um, uh, uh, the, um, don't trade, but, uh, hold Apple. Okay. Um, the Cadillac of Aerospace, which is Boeing. Right. Let's have some fun with Cedar Fair. Okay. And I can't come up with anything for Netflix. All right. And I was just wondering if you see, um... If there's anything wrong with with these stocks in light of today's action,
1: okay. Thank you for this. I thank you for your confidence. Uh, my travel trust has been buying Amazon. This is a great opportunity to buy it, unaffected by this, I believe. Uh, Apple, yes, that's the first one people are going to sell because Apple does big business in China. I say wait a few days, let all these traders flip out. We'll take a sh- and, and we start buying it again for those who aren't in it. Boeing was the other obvious one. Why Boeing does such a huge business in China? I'm actually not that scared because they need Boeing more than we, honestly, they need Boeing more than we do because of their growing population. Netflix, what can I say? I mean, Netflix is a problematic stock. It's gone up a great deal. It can certainly come down. It's gone, you know, it, it, It's not necessarily inexpensive, obviously. And what was the last one? Uh, Cedar Fair. Oh, Cedar Fair. Ah, fuck well, you. Yeah, of course, I wrote down fun. I'm thinking, what did I write down fun for? Well, that happens to be the symbol. I was having some fun out here. Cedar Fair is fine. I know some people worried about the quarter. I think these guys are great operators. Let's go to thank you for your call. Let's go to Dale in Ohio, please. Dale. Hi, Jim. Hi, Thanks Dale. for taking my call. Sure.
2: I've been buying and selling exact sciences ever since I saw their ads on your show back in 2016. And it was an innovative product. The stock has had an amazing year, and I've been buying on most of the dips, but then it hit a high in November of a, right. in the 60s or about 59, and now it's taken 25 after today, almost a 30% dip. Is today just another buying opportunity? You know, what do you so think Dale, of
1: it? It, look, it, it's nothing personal exact. This group has become very, very hard to own. And I like your trading style if it's working for you. But for me, it's too hard right now. That group is too hard. We're going to have some stocks coming down like a Boeing off of this news flow. I'd rather be in that and own it rather than trade around EXAS it's just, frankly, gotten too hard to do that with the drug stocks. One more. Can we take uh, Marshall in Vermont, please? Marshall.
2: Yes. Hey, Jim, this is Marshall calling from beautiful Burlington, Vermont. How are you?
1: Oh, you know, so I, my, 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 uh, I fell at like the street.com is going up there this weekend. I said, I, geez, I hear it's going to get 20 inches. What's happening?
2: Oh, no way. We got spring-like weather up here. All right.
1: I don't know. Anything can change, like just like this market. Got, what's going yeah, that's, on?
2: That's true. So my question is relates to the biopharmaceutical company Celgene. Right. Uh, a couple months ago, you said that you would buy Celgene if it dropped below $100 a share. Well, now it just sold off to below $88 a share after the FDA rejected its application for a multiple sclerosis drug. Is this a big red flag for Celgene? Marshall,
1: I got to tell you, this is one of those when the facts change. Now, I had been a champion of Receptos when Celgene bought them because of the autoimmune franchise, and this was a major setback for Celgene. There's no doubt about it. I thought that that I was hopeful for MS sufferers that Receptos had something. Right now, it looks less hopeful. It's a good company. But you know what? The group's hard enough. I'd rather go with the ones that have no problems whatsoever. And that's certainly not one of them. All right. Thank you, Kramer. I want you to keep your questions coming. You know we're interactive and we know we get through this together. Much more mad money. I'm sitting down with talk about Placid, the CEO of Ira, to see how this hundred year old company's doing. Then a strange creature was born when Salesforce reported yesterday. I know it's a down day, so I come with the tale of pleasure, happiness, and profit. That's right. Salesforce or your costs Robin Fire. Tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. I'm opening up the lines to hear from you, the voices of Kramer, because it's an uncertain time. I want to talk to you.
2: Mr. Kramer, I just want to tell you, you are absolutely, positively fantastic. Thanks for helping us not
1: panic in times like this. The average investor, which we all know and love, you cater to us, and we appreciate that for all you teach us. I am not going anywhere.
2: You shouldn't either. We will get through this together. Kramer has your back. Call 1-800-743-CNBC and let's take on the market together.
1: We're gonna figure this out, we'll puzzle it over, and we'll make it so that we're all smarter. idea. Let's take a look at a stock that held up surprisingly well in today's onslaught. I'm talking about Conagra. That's C A G for you, home gamers. I've been a fan of this packaged food company for a while now. You may know them as Chef Boyardee, Hebrew National, you get Egg Beaters, Hunt's Ketchup, Ready Whip, Orville Redenbacher, Pam, Bertolli, Slim Jims. All right, already. A host of other brands, including a bunch of natural and organic ones that they recently acquired that are on my kitchen table. For a long time, ConAgra seemed like a dinosaur, but the company has been turning itself around, doing everything it can to become more efficient and embrace the millennials who are taking over the world. Its last quarter was excellent. Its presentation at the big consumer analyst group of New York conference last week painted a very compelling picture of a company that's transforming itself on the fly, really. Yet ConAgra got slammed along with everything else during the big market-wide sell-off earlier this month. It didn't get hit today, though. Could this company finally getting the credit it deserves? Let's talk with Sean. Conley. He's the president and CEO of Conagra. Get a better sense of how this company's doing, where it's headed. Mr. Conley, welcome to money. Good hey, to Jim. see you, sir. Glad to be here. Have a seat. Thank you. It's been a three-year journey in yeah. the time. That you have taken this company over, I have to tell you, this is the most serious reinvention. I want you to trace it for our our viewers, because it is monumental.
0: Well, when I got there, I said, let's let's not waste a good crisis. We were a company that was struggling, and we were really a global conglomerate. In the last three years, we became a branded pure play. One of the first decisions we made was exiting the large private brands uh, business that we had acquired. That didn't go well, and I'm glad we did.
1: That was it, meaning that? That had been a tough business for oh, us.
0: it was guys. tough and business, yeah. and it was really consuming all of our intellectual capital. But mm-hmm. now we're focused. We're trying to simultaneously be a lean company and an innovative company. You can't be one or the other. you got to be both. And as you can see, we've done a heck of a lot of innovation in the last year, uh, particularly in Frozen. Snacking's coming, but uh, we're gaining traction.
1: You have brands that we find in uh, natural organic stores. You have brands that I think people will, would never think were a part of a 100-year-old yeah. company.
0: Yeah, we have about 55 brands. So we're a house of brands. We're not a branded house. We want the consumers of all walks of life to engage with our brands, including in natural and organic. And frankly, those natural organic attributes are things we're working into all of our businesses, frozen and snacking, because that's what today's younger consumers want.
1: You mentioned something that a lot of people don't realize. The younger consumer
0: likes frozen. People
1: don't think they go down that aisle.
0: Hey, it's the first generation that is making less money than their parents. So we've got to give them a super convenient solution, but we can't compromise on the quality of the food. They're very picky. And we're trying to give them the modern attributes they're looking for. So we've taken a dusty old frozen business. We've infused it with modern attributes. And Jim, we got it growing again, driven by millennials. I want to talk about something that you get that a lot of people don't. Some of the biggest
1: packaged foods don't don't get it.
0: Sustainability of packaging itself. Big I've deal. seen changes in your stuff in the stores. Yeah, it's simple. Uh, young consumers don't want to put plastic in the microwave. They <laughs> like the microwave. But we've got these proprietary plant-based bowls. They're recyclable. They go in the microwave, they come out, they look good. It looks like butcher paper. Our consumers love it, and they're buying more of it. And really, that's what's fueling our growth so far.
1: Now, there are people who think that you have dead brands. Now, one other thing: when I was growing up, we had Banquet on the table. I thought that was dead, buried. Not the
0: case. Hey, Banquet is the single biggest brand in single serve meals in terms of of unit volume. But for years, it was at a dollar. And we took Banquet. We liberated it from that dollar price point. We put quality back in the food. We upgraded the packaging. And guess what? Banquet is growing again. It's a big business, appeals to about 50 million households. 50 million households. I remember when you came out with Healthy Choice, and it was modern and cool. And then it languished, and I started thinking it was old. You've got a new look for that, too. Yeah, it was all about heart health. And that really is a small demographic today. So we've broadened it to active lifestyle. That business is up 16%. I shared a bunch of that innovation last week. We have a new innovation called Power Bowls. It's super low calorie, clean label, bold flavors. Younger consumers love it, and that's what's driving the growth.
1: Acquisition, one that's working. We all know it. We Angie's see it boom. in the
0: supermarket. Talk about it. Yeah, we've made a number of acquisitions. They've been smaller, more right. modernizing acquis- acquisitions. Angie's Boom Chicka Pop, we believe, is the single best ready-to-eat popcorn in the market. It's all about connecting with consumers on an emotional level. And you know what? It doesn't hurt that the product tastes fantastic. Uh, value over volume yeah. is something you're stressing. For millennials, just everybody in this time. That is about unwinding bad legacy practices our company had. And you're, you
1: admit, yeah, it wasn't your you know, company it, that did. I mean, it's it 97 it goes, years before you. It goes back decades. OK, it's tell me.
0: Pushing products to ad consumers and trying to motivate them to buy it strictly on low price points Right. not giving them modern attributes. So we had to pull back on promotion. We had to update and modernize all of our products across all our key consumer segments. And with 55 brands, it's a significant undertaking. So now we're in the third year of this transformation. You can see we've got real traction. We've got things like Marie Calendar Delights coming out next year. It's all about comfort food. But guess what? Some people in the house want comfort with a bit of a healthy twist. We consider that to be comfort with a conscience, and we're excited to get it in the market.
1: There's some things I don't understand. I thought this uh, there couldn't be any more permutations of this kind of food. We're talking to Slim Jims. I thought that they weren't popular. I was quite wrong,
0: wasn't I? Now you know what? Funny things happen when you pay attention to the consumer. The classic Slim Jim consumer changes their taste when they get to about 17, 18 years old. They want something more sophisticated. So we're giving that younger male that with the Slim Jim premium products. And then as they get to about 30 years old, we have another product we trade them up to, which is Duke's shorty sausages, really excellent, clean label. Gluten-free product, and it's just a terrific way to run that continuum for that young male as they go from their teens to their 20s into their 30s.
1: Right, last question, obviously today, trade on everybody's mind: Is China going to shut you out? Would it mean anything? And alternatively, how about corporate taxes? Has that been good for your bottom line?
0: Well, you know, this is breaking news on the trade piece. Uh, you know, we import some steel. I don't think it's a big deal for us, but let's see how the dust settles there okay. before we we get too far into that. Uh, in, in terms of taxes, we're going to benefit to the tune of 120, 110, 120 million dollars a year. Bad. Money. We've got a balanced capital allocation philosophy. We'll continue to have that. We'll invest back in the business. We, we do pay a healthy dividend. We buy back shares. And, of course, M&A is on our agenda as well.
1: Well, it's been a remarkable turn. It's just the kind of stock that people should be warming up to if they have a nervous stomach. And i got to tell you, don't bring this anymore to our, to our <laughs> shop, okay? Everyone yeah, knows I went through a full bag, and I'm trying so hard. But it's so darn good. That's Sean Conley, he's the president and CEO of ConAgra Brand CAG. You know we like this one very much. More money's back after the break. It is time for the Light Round. the And then the Light Round. Are you ready, SK Dad, time for the Light Round. I'm gonna start with Robert in Utah, Robert. <laughs>
2: Hey Jim, long-time investor. Listen, I'm wondering about the universal display
1: OLED. Yeah, I mean, do uh, will feel that there's not enough OLED being used in the new devices? So we're gonna have to wait to see if that's the case. Let's go to Charles in Rhode Island. Charles. Hello, Kramer. Yo. I'm calling to find out about CIT Group. Is it a, a hold myself? CIT, I mean, we got financials that are so unbelievably good, like J.P. Morgan. Why are we reaching for that one? I mean, it's okay, but we need to go with the big guns. Let's go to Jack in Ohio. Jack. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Jim. You're quite welcome. Hey, with the
0: market pulling back today, do you think it's a good time to pick up the one. oak. O- uh,
1: I am cool on the fossil fuel stocks and a whole new generation of investors are saying no to them. Five point four percent yield is not enough to attract Wally in Arizona. Wally. Hey, Jim, thanks for everything you do for us. Uh, quite welcome.
2: So, Jim, um, I bought Albemarle about a year ago for about two months wrote it up, now i writing it back no, down. No you it. The blue is room off room. the
1: Rose. Right. Why is that? Because the side that Kimica, which is the largest producer in Chile, is overproducing. Let's go to Nick in Florida. Nick! Yes, Jim. How you doing? Alright, how are you? Alright.
2: Everything's alright so far. Okay. I was, I was asking you about the SRX.
1: You know what? The analysts never stop loving the SRX. I don't care for it. There's so many other great companies. Why not look at Abbott Labs? They make stuff. How about Connor, New Jersey? Connor! Booyah,
2: Jim! Booyah! Booyah. Third time caller, and next,
1: Action Plus club member. Oh, thank you!
2: What levels would you buy Valley National Bank Well, back? you
1: know we put Valley now, we talked about it in the club for Action Plus.com but we felt it's too small to be able to own it for it but I think right here is a great level to buy let's go to Jim in Florida Jim Jim thanks so much for
2: taking my call
1: quite welcome I took your advice some time ago on Square SQ and I've had a fabulous run Jim, well you your the buy, advice that I took was from the fabulous Sarah Fryer who told me that this was a good one round at twelve fifteen when I was a doubter and I'm sticking with Square I think it's still good let's go to Robin in Alabama Robin
2: Hey, Jim. Long-time fan. Really appreciate what you do. Thank you.
1: Same. Uh, Stockholm asking about his FNC. The old food machinery coming. Well, this is also caught up in this whole, uh, it's agricultural. I'm going to say this one's okay. It has come down enough that I'm going to say it's okay to own. How about Chris in Connecticut? Chris.
2: Mr. Kramer, what's going on?
1: I don't know. You tell me. Um... All right. I need your thoughts on uh, Manitowoc MTW. Manit- added about six Manitowoc months. Manitowoc has and- come down almost thirty percent. I think that's wrong. I think this is a decent level to start by. Let's go to Maryland, Indiana, Maryland. Yes. Uh, a Hoosier booyah to you. All right. I'll and take I'd that. Like- although don't take don't take uh, Nick Foles from us, Frank Reich. What's going on? Okay. I'd like to ask about Radius Health. Yeah, we man, I, one. I know it is. Go. They've got experimental. We've had them on a bunch of times, but we got stocks like Crystal Mars that are down so much. I'd rather be in that one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the
2: Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: a stock that bucks this negative trend and goes up gigantically despite the horrible tape like Salesforce.com stock did today, you have to ask, how'd they do it? Was it simply the quarter? Was it the execution, the environment, the products, maybe the moment itself? Everyone on the Salesforce conference call, all the analysts, struggled with this exact issue last night. I've never heard anything like it, and I've probably been on more conference calls than anyone else alive. I actually wish I were kidding when I say that. It was like the story of the blind men and the elephant. The analysts can feel each individual part, but they can't seem to get their heads around the totality of it all. To be fair, there were a ton of impressive parts. My favorite was the 48% growth in unbilled deferred revenue because I'm an old subscription guy from thestreet.com. I know that's the best predictor of sales going forward. I have parsed every single salesforce.com quarter for a decade now. Every one. I always try to approach things methodically. I call it the craft. Let's look at what the analysts are modeling. Let's check to see what they really Think's going to happen? Who's setting the company up for a fall with too high an estimate? Who's a straight shooter of extrapolation? Who's hoping they do under promise and over deliver? That's the science of it. Some data that gets spun in positive or negative ways depending upon your point of view. When the numbers come out, you compare them line by line with what people are looking for. You say, hmm, "That's better." Okay, that's not bad. Ooh, my God, that one looks good, and so on. Or at least that's how it goes, say, 99% of the time. But that was not the case here. It was like looking at the quarter you expected from Salesforce maybe a year from now, maybe two years from now. I struggle to remember when I've seen a company, not just a cloud company, not just an enterprise software company, grow like this, a large company. I've only seen really super small companies do this. And then then, I couldn't find any last couple of years. So did the analysts. They were out loud saying it. It was an amazing display of astonishment with some very hard-bitten veterans, I've known for ages, actually dropping their guard and offering out-and-out adulation. You've got to go listen. How did Salesforce do it? First, vast swaths of the world are still in the early stages of digitization. Companies are taking their cash and giving it to CEO Mark Benioff and company and saying, will you please help us find out what our customers really want from us? Because we trust you. Second, companies are bursting with cash, especially here in America, thanks to tax reform, and in Europe from their economic recovery. These companies don't know how to marry artificial intelligence with their own data, but Salesforce does. They don't know how to keep their customers as happy as the other guy without Salesforce. And they know they won't be betrayed by Salesforce because the culture at Salesforce has no room for that. Benioff likes to use the term ohana, the Hawaiian word for extended family. He runs his company with a team that believes. He understands what millennials know instinctively. There's something bigger going on out there. He doesn't love authenticity. He is authentic. And he despises those who sacrifice truth in the order of higher gross margins, which we know is being done on social media every day. Why does this squishy cultural stuff matter, especially for an old guy like me who's been taught make the darn numbers? I'll tell you why. In a a moment where, for example, the financials can focus on innovation, not just regulation, they need someone to help them. But banks historically trust no one. They won't let outsiders in, let's be honest. The financials are secretive, sometimes cowardly, and seem rare. To put their customers first. Salesforce is upending that whole obnoxious paradigm by teaching these companies they got to be. Better at what They do. They make it clear that the executives need to trust someone, so they trust Salesforce to do the job. That's the real secret. That's a real good example. Sure, we've got a great environment. Business is the best it's, it's been for Salesforce and for tech in ages, but because of what Benioff calls the fourth industrial revolution, digitization has allowed for personalization, which the customer at an almost ridiculous level gets to have, and Salesforce is the pioneer of connecting these companies with these people. The CEOs who come to Salesforce for help, well, they know it. They want to be part of the Ohana. You know, my daughter lived in Hawaii for a while. She taught me the concept of Ohana. It really didn't mean family. It meant the yearning and joy that comes from being in the heart of the community. Maybe that's way too ethereal for you. Maybe it's too sentimental. Maybe the reality is that Salesforce is simply the right company in the right place at the right time. But in a cynical, unsympathetic, and nihilistic moment, I think it's a nice idea. Ohana per share. I like that. Stick with Kramer. Moments like this, is worth having a copy on your desk. Let me just tell you something. We've been in a trade war for years. We just have never fought back. You know what? Maybe it's okay. If you start selling right now, be my guest. It's not my case. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I will see you tomorrow.